Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezrat Hashem, we'll be learning Dafyud Beis and Masechet Pesachim. But we begin with the Mishnah, uh, more than, less than halfway down the uh, Yudal from Beis, and we'll get a running start from that Mishnah, and we'll be discussing issues initially not having to do with uh, Chametz as we get into the Gemara, and you'll see how Masechet Sanhedrin and Masechet Pesachim come together today in a very exciting way, as follows. So without further ado. So the Mishnah had said, as we primed yesterday, um, we teased it, Rameyer Omer Ochlin Kol Chamesh. This is now the discussion, not about the Isidor Raisa, Mide um, Raisa, as we've discussed, Ach Chilek, right, we said, Ach Biyomarishon Tashbisu, refers to the middle of the day, which is the end of the sixth hour. Uh, what we didn't discuss yesterday, this is something that harkens back to Masechah's brachos, that, this, that hours here are obviously shows zmanios. Uh, in those days, and it's very important for this Gemara to understand, uh, this Gemara assumes that people did not have a working atomic clock and a knowledge of the exact time. Uh, it wouldn't even necessarily help them because they looked at time totally differently. They looked at it as sunset and sunrise divided. And so the hours themselves would fluctuate depending on whether it's a long, what we call a long or a short day. So when they say the sixth hour, they mean, the end of the sixth hour, they mean midday, as we know. So for purposes of convenience, we're going to use a, a, a day that's completely balanced where the day starts at 6 a.m. and ends at 6 p.m. Be that as it may, on such a date, which obviously is not the way Erev Pesach is, but it's not that far off. Anyways, so Meir Omer, Ochlin Kol Chamesh, you can eat Chametz the entire fifth hour, Vesorfen Betchilas Sheish, okay, but even though Mida Oraisa, you have to, right, you, you, could, you, you no longer can have the Chametz, it becomes also at the end of the sixth hour, we're going to burn it at the beginning of the sixth hour, right? So this is a rabbinic, um, prohibition in order to keep us away from the violation of chametz. So that's our Meir Shita. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Ochlin Kol Arba, he's going to push everything an hour back. We're going to eat chametz the entire fourth hour, and then Tolin Kol Chamesh. So you're not going to, already by the fifth hour, we're not going to let you eat it anymore. And then Sorfin Betchilas Sheish. So even though the burning is at the same time, Basically, we're going to make you stop eating an hour earlier in order so that you don't get carried away. And so, according to him, we make it even, we push it an hour back and we're even more cautious in order to not violate the eating of chametz at the end of the sixth hour. The Ode Amr Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda also added a, how he added sort of a visual of how at the time of the Beis Hamikdash of the temple, they used to have a visual to mark all of these hours that he's speaking of, the end of the fourth hour, the, the end of the fifth hour, and the beginning of the sixth, as follows, what are this toda? Um, the korban toda had 40 pieces of carbs, of which 30 were matzos, 10 were chametz. The fact that the chametz was in there on the Mizbech is very unusual. Um, be that as it may, the Mishnah itself says that the Korban Toda here, and, and we know that, we know when a Korban Toda is brought, we saw in Brachos, right, the, the, if a person has survived some sort of, uh, life-threatening experience, 
or incarceration or something of that nature. So, or, so that person has to bring what's called the Korban Toda, and he brings that sacrifice. Okay, so how would we get to this Korban Toda? Who's bringing the Korban Toda? How did it become Puzzle? Right? It says psulos. They're invalid. Otherwise, you, maybe you wouldn't be able to use it for this purpose. Rashi says we will see that in the Gemara. We won't see it today, but we will see that um, later on in the Gemara. And be that as it may, they used this as a prop, the Korban Toda, in order to mark the hours for the people. So you see how much, right, they needed visual cues to know what time it was. A regular person didn't have a great, great sense of time. They had a basic idea. This is the beginning of the day. This is the middle of the day. The sun's high in the sky. And this is the end of the day. But when you're talking about hours, they didn't really know hours that well. So they would have this visualization. As the mission says, right? The itztaba was on top of the bench, uh, right? That people could see over there in the Temple Mount. And... They would put it, we discussed the Itztaba in Masechah Shabbos, you know, what is the status of, of that area. Anyways, so they, you would put the chalas on top of there, kolzman shemunachos, as long as those two breads were laying there, then people would know they could still eat bread. And that certainly is a good visual because it's appropriate. It has to do with two pieces of chametz laying there. So kolzman shemunachos, kol ha'am ochlin. Everybody would be able to eat chametz. Nitla achas tolin. Once one challah is removed, so to speak, then they would no longer, according to Rabbi again, at that point, you're not burning it yet, but you also can no longer eat it, so they would stop eating it. Lo ochlin velo sorfin, as the mission says, right? You no longer eat it, but you still don't have to burn it. Then nit finally they take away the second loaf, and hitchilu kolaam sorfin, everybody would start setting their chametz on fire. Okay, so that is Rabbi Huda illustrating, in fact, Sounds like uh, his position was what was held in the base of Mikdash because he's explaining those stages with regards to how it was actually physically done with the Korban Toda, as we will discuss later in the Gemara. Okay. Then Rabbi Gamliel adds a wrinkle to Rabbi Huda over here. It, presumably he agrees with Rabbi Huda, but he adds a wrinkle with regards to Truma. Says the Mishnah, Rabbi Gamliel Omer, kol arba. Okay, that the entire fourth hour, everything's the same as Rabbi Huda. And it's true that the entire fourth hour are eating chametz. However, during that fifth hour, where you're neither burning nor eating chametz, you are eating a certain unique type of chametz. What is that? Utruma kol chametz. The truma is chametz that you're going to eat in the entire fifth hour. And then you burn the truma uh, at the beginning of the sixth hour. Unbelievably, uh, as Rashi explained, it's truma kol chametz. The asur lahafsid kachim beyadayim kolzman shiachol ochlem. You're not allowed to, when you have kachim, as, so long as you are capable or allowed to eat it, right, you're not allowed to discard of it. Now, the lusha, the language that Rashi is actually uh, choosing to use here, to discard it, to push it away physically, sort of like proactively with your hands, be a daim, is, um, is unusual because you're not really doing that. You're, just, you're not burning the truma. You're just not eating it, right? If you were to follow truma the same way as chulin, According to the Shita Rebuda, you just wouldn't be eating the truma. Um, and, and what Rabbi Gamliel is adding, that you actually would continue to eat the truma. But it has to do with this balance. This balance that you don't want to get rid of truma, and you can't just, and, and by saying already at the fourth hour that you no longer could eat it, and you're condemning it, right, to being burnt in the sixth hour, it's tantamount to burning it already, right, at the end of the fourth hour, essentially. 
And so we do not want you to do that because you can't do that to Truma. And so we're not going to put the Truma on death row yet. At the end of the fourth hour, we're still going to allow you to eat it all the way up until the time that you can burn it because, as we know, you're not allowed to do that to Kachim. Okay. So now, as advertised yesterday, we're going to discuss, and as we mentioned this morning, we're going to discuss issues of Sanhedrin. What's going to be the issue here? Time management. The concept of time. Does a human being have a concept of time enough to follow these hours that are outlined in our Mishnah? So let's see. Says the Gemara. It's non hasam. We learn a Mishnah all the way over there with Sanhedrin. What's the topic? Capital punishment. When you have capital punishment, you have to have at least two witnesses, as you know. Those two witnesses then get put into a chamber separately and interrogated. Drisha v'chakira and Bedika. We'll see the difference. Uh, Bedika, right? Not Bedika's chametz, but Bedika's edim. You do, you check the edim. And so, um, you ask them, as you'll see in the, in, it's mentioned in Sanhedrin on Daf Mem. You ask them seven fundamental questions. And if they are incorrect, they don't match up. You, the guy, the, the guy that they're testifying against, their atus is thrown out. Their, their testimony is thrown out. The guy is going to get off. Now, those are going to be basic questions. And most of them have to do with where were you and at what time, as we will see. Now, if their testimony doesn't add up, like you said, they're going to be thrown out. The question is, what is the margin of error, right, for their time estimate? So let's see. That's the mission in Sanhedrin. This follows. Wow. So here, they're 24 hours off. One says it was the second day of the month. The other one said it was the third day of the month. We still uphold their testimony. Why? Well, because this is not a time management issue. This is, So apparently, you know, without the calendar hanging on the wall, they used to do Kiddush Alpira'iya, right? And they didn't know when the month started because they didn't know whether uh, in these lunar months, whether the previous month was Malay or Chaser, it was a full month, and therefore it could be at the beginning of the month that you still not know which day of the month it was. And therefore mm-hmm. that does not, that does not, um, Invalidate their 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 testimony. Okay. How about echad omer b'shloshav echad omer b'chamisha edutz on betela? Right. But if they're two days off, then it doesn't have any more to do with knowing when Rosh Chodesh was, and their entire testimony will be puzzled. That's simple enough. Now let's see times. Echad omer b'shteishos echad omer b'shaloshos. Okay. So one said that it was on the second hour. Right. So the second hour, we don't know. That could be seven. That could be eight. We'll see. But, right, we know that the first hour is from six to seven. So he says it was in the second hour. So let's say it's seven o'clock. Okay. And so they're an hour apart. We're going to say that their edus is okay. How about So the Tanakhama says that their edus is nullified if they're two hours apart. That's the threshold. Divrei Rabbi Meir. Some take that out, but basically that is, we're going to see the position of Rabbi Meir that it, two hours apart, we're still going to say it's valid. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Edus and Kayemes, right? And Rabbi Yehuda says two hours apart is fine. Echad Omer Bechamesh, Echad Omer Besheva, Edus and Betela. However, if they're two hours apart, where one says it was in the fifth hour and one says it was in the seventh hour, their testimony is going to be nullified. Well, why? Says the Gemara, or the Mishnah there, according to Rabbi Yehuda, Shebechamesh, Chama B'Mizrach, Ubesheva, Chama B'Marav. Right, that in the fifth hour, now anybody can usually tell whether the sun is leaning to the east or the west. The sun rises everywhere in the world from in the east and sets in the west. And therefore, 
there's a difference between the third and the fifth, so you know that that's kind of mid-morning, but, but because nobody has a watch, maybe you, you can uh, have a margin of error where you don't know exactly what time. But certainly people could tell whether the sun's in the east or the west of the sky, even if they're not paying that much attention. The difference between five, fifth hour and seventh hour is very different. Is the sun still rising or is it already setting? And therefore, that would be a discrepancy, even though it's the same amount of time, that would be the discrepancy that would invalidate the witnesses. Fine. So, Amar Abayi. What we're going to have here is a machlokas between Abayi and Rabbah. They're going to dispute the following idea. What exactly is the source of this margin for error? So, Abayi is saying that Rabbi Meir over here, um, who says, who's going to have a threshold of an hour in between them, he's going to, Rabbi Meir is very specific. And according to Rabbi Meir, he's assuming that people have a exquisite, exquisite sense of timing. They know exactly what time it is, and the, as we will see, their mistake is coming from a different source. And similarly, Rabbi Yehuda, who says that the threshold is two hours, he's not saying that because there's a margin of error of two hours as to what time it is during the day, but rather he is referring to a margin of error of a half an hour, and so now Rabbi is going to explain how he sees that in the Mishnah. How are you going to plug in this com- completely perfect concept of time and the margin of error of a half an hour into the Mishnah that says that the difference could be an hour or two hours? So let's see. Abaye explains as follows. What I'm saying is that according to Rabbi Meir, that a person has a perfect concept of time, let's say something happened at the end of the second hour and the beginning of the third hour. Right, that's when the episode was witnessed. And simply, the first person said it was in the second hour. He meant at the end of the second hour, right? He meant that whatever, 7.59. And the person who said in the third hour, he just meant at 8.01. But basically, the, the, the uh, incident took place at 8 a.m. And the discrepancy is just in how they're describing it. One sees it at the end of the Second hour, one season at the beginning of the third, so that's what they're saying in the second and third hour. Okay, so that, that is how Rabbi Mayer, who thinks that they know exactly what time it was, they arrive at an hour discrepancy. And Rabbi Yehuda says a two hour discrepancy, he simply says this would be the case. In other words, the biggest discrepancy could be a half an hour. So let's say it happened in the middle of the fourth hour. So 8.30. Um, Right, or, or, or 9.30. Right, 9.30. Ba'ai shalosh, besof shalosh. So the person who said it was the third hour, so he was off by a half hour. He thought it was at the end of the third hour, so like 7.59. Bekatai palga de Right, he erred a half hour early. Ba'ai dekamer chamesh, betchilas chamesh. Right, and the other guy said 11. So one guy said 9, the other guy said 11. They're two hours apart. Really, it happened, right, right in the middle at, at, at 9.30, and therefore, right, so that's the mar- margin of error. So you're taking in two factors again. One factor is, let's say it happened in the middle of the fourth hour. So one guy, so the extremes could be that one guy thinks that it happened a half hour later, and then he says an hour that was later, and the, and the other extreme is the guy who thought that it happened a half hour earlier, but the way he's expressing it makes it seem even an hour early, earlier than that. Okay, that is one view of Abayi. 
Or you could say, uh, the other version of mayor is not that it's a difference of not, not having any, right, any, um, any discrepancy in a half an hour, but rather having a little bit of a discrepancy and then a little bit more than an hour discrepancy as follows. The Divrei Rabbi Meir, Adam Toy Mashu, Maiseki Hava, Besov Shtaim, Hava, Obetchila Shalosh. So the first case would be the same, right? It's a, it, we are still mixing in this idea of saying it differently, that make, making a statement of that it was in the second or the third hour could be confusing because we don't know whether we're referring to the beginning or the end of that hour. One of them is erring slightly. And Right, it's either at the end of the third hour or the beginning of the fifth hour as we finally arrive at Yudbezim at Aleph. It's still not yet 6 a.m. And one of them, right, made a mistake of an hour and a bit. So, and again, this, this Tav Mashu is just, is just saying, right, because of the first way of saying it, is a little bit unusual just because, again, if, if you're to say that he's not Toah at all, right, it doesn't really fit because obviously if they both know it's exactly eight o'clock, maybe they wouldn't say the end of the, of the third hour, right? You'd have to at least be 7.59 or whatever it is in order to make that mistake. But be that as it may, what we see in the sheet of the Abaye, of Abaye is a very interesting thing. We see that the reason why we're allowing Right for this discrepancy of whether it's a mayor or a behuda, the reason why we're allowing an hour off or two hours off is because of the fact of a combination of factors. The first factor is that we don't know exactly what time it is, right? But there's a small sort of margin for error for that. But the second factor, very importantly, is that we are not sure what these witnesses are actually meaning when they're saying. When they say the second hour, do they mean the beginning or the end of the second hour? That's kind of ambiguous. This is actually something that Rava is not willing to accept as follows. Azul Ravuna Bereda Rav Yehuda. Ravuna, the son of Rav Yehuda, Rava. He said Abayi's halacha and his explanation of this in the presence of Rava. Amar, to which Rava responded very harshly. Uma il daikinan behane sahadi. Okay, I read a little too much. I'll say it outside first. Rava is willing to accept that you can have a margin of error that we don't know exactly what time it is. But this idea that we don't know exactly what the witnesses are saying, that it's ambiguous, he cannot accept it. Because after all, the witnesses are coming. So, you, can't you ask them? In other words, we're here to save people, right? Innocent until proven gu- guilty. And therefore, as a Bezdin that's wanting to be innocent until proven guilty, what are you going to say? Somebody's going to come and you're going to say, well, he said the second hour, but he could have meant the end of the second hour. He said the fifth hour, he could have meant the beginning of the fifth hour. And we're going to like bring their atus together in order to convict this guy, right? We're going to say that this atus is valid. And based off of that, you're going to deliver capital punishment. Aren't we supposed to be uh, trying to avoid giving capital punishment? And so it's one thing if there's a margin of error. I mean, you have to be legitimate. It's not a kangaroo court. We're a legitimate court here. But it's a totally other thing to allow this ambiguity of the Adim 
to persist without actually asking them what they meant. Right? If you could just ask them what they meant, and if it's true that one meant the beginning of the first and one meant the end of the fifth, so then their atus is going to get thrown out. So just investigate a little more. Do your job. So look, so now we'll read it inside. If we actually examined these witnesses, we would find that this person who said third hour, he meant the beginning. And this person who said the fifth hour, meant the end of the fifth hour. And simply, we would then throw out this testimony and we wouldn't kill, right, the accused. But what? You're going to say Abaye. You're going to say that, you know what, their atheist was ambiguous, but let's assume that they meant that it was at the same time and then you're going to go kill based off of this doubt, this ambiguity, when you could just find out what they meant. After all, the Torah itself says, we know already from the, all the psukim, from the verses, that they're supposed to judge, right, in a way that you want to save the accused. That's our attitude. We know that a Bezdin that killed more than once in 70 years would, was considered to be a, a Bezdin that was a killing kind of Bezdin. We always try to avoid the death penalty. So why can't you just go through the process of at least finding out and resolving that ambiguity? Right, you can't account necessarily for margin of error in time concept and management, but, but at least you can find out what they meant when they gave their testimony. Oh. So Rava, because of this argument, needs to actually understand all of these hours differently, because the mission, after all, says that there is either one or two hour discrepancy is tolerated. So therefore, Rava says as follows. And Simply the margin for error of knowing what time it is is either two full hours, according to Rabbi Meir, or three hours, not full, I said full, he's specifically saying not full, either two hours minus like a second, or three hours minus a second. In other words, once you get to two or three hours, you pass the threshold already of beyond the margin of error. But anything up to that is considered within margin of error. And so we're going to take the time to understand exactly what the Adam mean when they say the hour that they were there, but we're not going to, um, but we're not going to hold them accountable for more than either two or three, for less, I should say, than either two or three hours. Uh, that's the amount of margin of error that we're going to allow them. Okay. How so? So let's explain. A person can err slightly less than two hours as follows. Let's say something happened, uh, something can either happen, right? Uh, he doesn't know whether it happened in the beginning of the second hour or the end of the third hour. So you see that that is, right, just, just shy of two hour discrepancy. Because at worst, one of them is going to make an error of slightly less than two hours. Okay? And the Divir Rebbe Yehuda, Adam Toy Shalashas Chasher Mashu. And according to Rebbe Yehuda, it's just shy of three hours. Maisaki Hava, Obetchila Shalosh, Obesov Chamesh. It could either happen at the beginning of the third hour or at the end of the fifth hour, three hours later, close to three hours later. And there he's allowing one person to make a mistake of, of a little less than three hours. The one thing that you may want to, that you might be thinking is, wait a minute. Can't they both have a margin for error? Right? In other words, if both of them could have that margin of error, then they would be six hours apart. That's a good question. Um, uh, I, I, so, so we're, we're going to see, we're going to see how that plays out. But the point is that he's assuming 
um, for one, it could be that they're splitting like half of that and ascribing it to each one, as, and then it comes out to one of them coming out to at least two or three hours apart. That would make more sense, that you split the margin for error where one guy is going to be an hour off and the other guy is going to be an hour off just in the opposite direction, and then it comes out to just shy of two hours apart between them. Okay. Be that as it may, six lines up from the wide, the Gemara is going to analyze a little bit. Tanan. So this is going to be the Mishnah in Sanhedrin that's going to talk about the, um, how we're going to check out these, these uh, witnesses. The interrogation as follows. Okay, these are the seven fundamental questions that every witness uh, in this capital case needs to be asked. What week? Which, which week did you see it? Right? Which week in the year? What year was it? Which month was it? Which day of the month? Which day of the week? You'll notice that some of these could be, right, if you're looking at the calendar, you could determine some of these from the other. But that's part of the testimony, right? You're trying to also trip them, not trying to trip them up, but if they were making it up, they're more likely to not answer these correctly, even though theoretically one could be inferred from the other. Anyway, as we get to the last two, what time was it? Where were you? Okay, this becomes very important. Right, because these are fundamental. Because we know there's a concept of Adam Zomimim, right, as we know from the very first page of Makos and also over here in Sanhedrin, that when a person gives testimony, that if they're actually making it up, they're going to end up having to, right, Kasher Zomim. They're going to, we're going to inflict on them whatever they were trying to testify against somebody else if they in fact testified, uh, right, falsely. And that we can only do with the concept of Himanu Aisem. You could not have possibly given this testimony because you were with us at that place and at a different place in time than what you claim that this took place. So for that reason, every testimony, in order to be a valid testimony, has to be an edus she'achola an edus that is susceptible, that we can at least check to see. It's like an alibi, right? So you could at least check to know. We take away your alibi because you must place yourself at the time and the scene of the crime. And therefore, without time and place, we can't accept your testimony altogether. So these are seven fundamental questions that every witness must answer. Now, the, the, the Mishnah continues as the Gemara quotes, Vitznan, and we also continue to learn in that Mishnah. Ma'bein chakiros lebedigos. So now we talked about chakiros. What's badikos? So, and what's chakiros? So chakiros, says the Mishnah, Amar chamehen eni odea edusan betela. The hakiros are the time and place, right, um, questions we just mentioned now. And if you can't answer that question, then we're throwing you out of court as a, and you're not a valid witness altogether. Bedikos, however, is like, what color hat was he wearing? That kind of question, even if the person says, I don't remember that detail, even if both witnesses don't remember that detail, that will not threaten the integrity of their testimony. Right? The only thing that's going to happen is that's almost to check to see if one of them says it was a bright red hat and the other one says it was a bright green hat, then maybe in that case already we're going to look to see if there's a contradiction and enough to look into here to see the integrity of the, of the witnesses. But short of that, that part of the testimony is not in itself essential to the testimony. Okay. Furthermore, in analyzing the Mishnah, so we already asked, what's the difference between Chakiros, which we said is essential, and Badikos, which is extra. 
right? So, like we just said, that in those chakiros where the time and place, so if one person just says, I don't know, the whole testimony gets thrown out. There it is. As we had explained, because that is a testimony that you can never refute through hazama. And bedikos edos shatayacholazimahi. Right? But if you're wrong about the kind of hat he had, so that still doesn't, right, threaten the integrity of the time and place aspect of the testimony, and the testimony is still valid. Okay. Now the Gemara is going to ask the question. An unbelievable. After all this, what does this have to do with anything? If you say that a person can be off by two hours, three hours, then then wait a minute, even a standard question of like, where were you? What time was it? Then it becomes a testimony that we can't refute, that bring back to Hazama. Why? The Amri mit Because the witness said, oh, we made a mistake with the time. Assuming they say the same day, the hour almost becomes irrelevant. So the Gemara answers, no. The Havinan Lahu Kule Tayosayu. No, actually, we give enough ample room for all of their mistakes together. Now, by the way, keep in mind, the mistakes are compounded, right? Because you have the initial set of Adam, let's say, said it happened, I don't know, on the fourth hour. So they can be off, right, themselves by two or three hours. So let's say it happened the sixth hour. But then the second set of Adam say, you were with us at that hour. But they themselves could also be off an additional two or three hours, right, in both directions, right? So it becomes this like span of five, six hours, because again, each set of witnesses is entitled to their non-lack of concept of time, at least within two, three hours. And it doesn't have to be the same exact pinpoint of time. It could be the time that they said the testimony was, which itself has a... Uh, a, a, a um, Right, which itself has a margin for error. So the margin of error has become compounded, as you'll see. Okay, so four lines up towards the end of Yud Bezim and Aleph over here. We'll see how this works. Le Rabbi Meir, Yavinun Lu Mitchila Shari Shonat Sof Chamesh. Right, so once you compound, right, the concepts of time of the first set of witnesses and then the second witnesses on top of it, comes out to Rabbi Meir that you have from the beginning of the first hour till the end of the fifth hour as the window of time that these witnesses could, that this event could have happened. So it's still the same day. It's still kind of like, okay, morning, but it could have been any time in the morning at this point. However, but we should technically even give him more than before the Shari Shona, right? Because, because you could have a margin of error that's, that's even larger when they're compounded. However, except for when, when you, right? Like, so if you can make the error of two hours, then what happens is, on top of the error of two hours in each direction, you could have another error of two hours in other directions. You could have six hours worth of, of um, discrepancy. However, we're never going to say that it's earlier than the first hour. Why? Because earlier than the first hour of the day, it's night. It looks like it looks outside now. You can't say that, it, that the difference between dark and, and light is something that everybody should be responsible to know. So that's why we're never going to say, like if somebody says, oh, it was, it was at nighttime, and the other person says it was daytime, even though it falls within that discrepancy of being able to tell the time, those are some physical, right, barriers that we know that, that human beings are going to hold them accountable to at least know whether it was night or day. Okay. Now, although Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda is even allowing an error of three hours, so that's going to be even more. There, Yavin Lumitrila Shari, Shonavat Sof Shishis. 
right? He's not only allowing until the end of the uh, fifth, but until the end of the sixth. And there, but when you compound the margin of error, really you could go earlier than the first hour and also later than the end of the sixth hour, which is noon, high noon. But again, for the same reasons, as we turn to your Bezim and Bez, but earlier than the first hour, we know that's nighttime already. So that we're going to hold them accountable for. Even the, and even furthermore, later past the sixth hour, past high noon, we also are going to hold them accountable for. And really, the margin of error goes beyond that as well. However, we're not going, we're going to ha- uh, hold you accountable for that mistake because even though, again, there are ways to figure out based on the position of the sun what time it is. But, you know, you're, you're watching some sort of crime. You know roughly what time of day it is, but you don't have a watch, so you don't know exactly. But you can tell the difference between high noon or sun is starting to set. And for that, we are, in fact, for that physical reality, we are, in fact, going to hold you responsible. Okay. Okay, are we going to get back to Chametz? Yeah, right now. So now with all of these margin of errors... And all of this time concept issues and time management issues, we finally, three lines down, you'd bays them and bays, bring it back to Masecha Psachim. Welcome back. And we say the following. It's not. We learned in our Mishnah. Rabbi Meir Omer, Ochlen Kol Chamesh Vesofer Mitchilas Sheish. So what exactly is going on in our Mishnah? What we have is, right, sort of a margin for error. We're concerned that you're not going to know exactly what time it is. So even though you can eat until the end of the sixth hour, according to the Torah, the Chazal said, no, let's, let, let's stop it by one hour. So Rabbi Meir, and it's, and it's the same, right, it's the same people. It's Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Huda. So Rabbi Meir, who before we said has a discrepancy of two hours, and Rabbi Huda who has a discrepancy of three hours, they're represented differently in our Mishnah. In our Mishnah, Rabbi Meir says you could eat it the entire fifth hour, and then you only wait one hour, not two, right? And then we burn it at the beginning of the sixth hour. And Rabbi Yehuda, as we said in our Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda does add an extra hour, so in that sense he's consistent with the way they are represented in Sanhedrin. However, whereas in Sanhedrin, Rabbi Meir has a two-hour window of discrepancy, and Rabbi Yehuda has a three-hour window, here Rabbi Meir has a one-hour window, and Rabbi Yehuda has a two-hour window, where he allows you to eat the chametz, the fourth hour, but already by the fifth hour, he's not going to let you uh, eat the chametz anymore, and that's two hours in advance of when you have to burn it, of when you have to burn it midoraisa, and then when you burn it, we're going to make you burn it an hour early as well. So how does this work? So now we're going to plug this back into Abaye and Rava and Sanhedrin. Isn't that interesting? So here we go. So remember, Abaye thought, Abaye was introducing an extra variable of the ambiguity of the witness's testimony, but he really thought that the margin of error for time management is either one hour or a half an hour. So let's plug that into Psachim. So Abaye's version of Rabbi Meir was that really the whole thing with, what, with the discrepancy in Sanhedrin had to do with the ambiguity of the testimony. But really, the people have exquisite time management. So why do we make them eat the chametz an hour earlier? Says the Gemara, Let him eat the entire sixth hour. He knows what time it is. He'll stop when it's time. And really, even according to the version where he says that they're even a slightly, right, uh, capable of, of making an error, the error is slight. So fine. So you, can, so you say you can't eat the entire sixth hour, but you can eat most of it, 
toward, till towards the end of the sixth hour. Okay, so that's according to Rabbi Meir. What about according to Rabbi Huda, who says within Abaye that the discrepancy is a half an hour? As follows: Fine. So they sh- he shouldn't say that you have that you have to stop by the end of the fourth hour. You could stop at the middle of the sixth hour. And then even if you have a half an hour off, if you're half an hour off in your estimate, estimate, then you still, as long as you stop in the middle of the sixth hour, you're not going to be in trouble of eating the chametz on, um, on, on the second half of Pesach. And similarly, right, you could eat until the end of the fifth hour. Okay. So why is the discrepancy in time management in Psachim different than in Sanhedrin? That's the question. So the Gemara answers... We have to be, according to Rabbi, we have to be more careful with chametz than we are with testimony, because testimony, it's Masurah's reason, which means, it, technically, it literally means it's given over to conscientious people, where basically what it means is that when a person comes into a formal courthouse, they know that they're going to be interrogated, they're going to have their facts straight, they're going to be vigilant about that. But chametz is every Tom, Dick, and Harry is... Every Jew is burning their chametz, and so for the general general pop, right? They have to have a little bit more of a cushion because maybe they're not going to be so precise with their burning, and that's why we add extra hours. According to Abaye, it's not it's because we it's not because we think that um, chametz or Sanhedrin is different, it, other than the fact that the people themselves, there's so many more people burning chametz, and so we are increasing the margin for error so that nobody gets into trouble with having chametz left over after the end of the sixth hour. Good. Now, 14 lines down in your Beis and Beis, Rava is going, we're going to look at Rava, right? So Aba, Rava had a much larger margin for error than Abaya did. Abaya's was very small. For time management. Rabbah's is large, says the Gemara. Rabbah, leave the Rumeir, the Adam Toy, Shte Shaz, Chaser Mashu, Metchilas Chamesh Lo Nechel. So now we're taking it in the other direction, right? Why is it that Rabbi Meir is allowing you to eat the fifth hour? He should already stop eating the chametz in the beginning of the fifth hour because after all, it is Rava that holds that the time concept of time can be within margin of error of two hours. So why are we allowing you to stop eating one hour before? So the Gemara says, Chamesh, Chama B'Mizrach, Vasheva Chama B'Marav. Yeah, it's because, it's because of the fact that at those, at, it happens to be that specifically at that time of day, which is entering midday, you have a better concept of time because you know already that by the time the sun gets to high noon, you have to stop eating. So therefore, we don't have to be as vigilant because we know when the fifth hour, uh, is, is because everybody knows when that hour is. It's more visible in the sky. But the Gemara says, so, well, if we know the difference between high noon and an hour earlier, so then maybe we can even eat in the beginning of the sixth hour. So the Gemara, and, right, and, and then just in knowing that we're going to stop by the end of that hour. So, Amar Vada Barava, Shis Yoma Bekarnasakai. Now, in the sixth hour, the sun is somewhere in the middle of the sky already, in the, even in the beginning, even though high noon is not until the end, that you could confuse. That could be leaning east, it could be leaning, right? It's not, it's not exactly um, something that you could tell, so therefore we're going to push it back an hour in order to uh, be sure that it's a time that you could tell for sure. And says the Gemara, one last question. So he says that it's a margin of error of three hours. So why why is he not 
what, so why is he allowing you to eat past the four, like into the fourth hour? Why doesn't he just stop the achilas chametz in the beginning of the fourth hour? So the Gemara answers chametz chametz mizrach v'sheva chametz the same thing as we were saying before. So just like we said before, that the sun position is somewhat more visible, specifically around, right, midday. So that would be all the more so true around here um, when you're talking about if, if the fifth hour can be discerned, certainly the fourth hour can be discerned, and therefore we're giving more margin for error. But beyond the f- end of the fourth hour, we don't need to be concerned because people could tell where the sun is in the sky relative to high noon. Says the Gemara, therefore, Yeah, but if you're saying that it has to do with position of the sun, we already established. So what are you going to have now? Machlokas about whether you could tell the difference between the fifth hour and the beginning of the fifth and the end of the fifth? So the Gemara answers, Targama Abayaliba de Rava. That Abayah was explaining it according to Rava that Edus Masur Lizrizim and Chametz to call Masur. So again, there, some people can, can make a mistake in the position of the sun. And for that reason, it's really just a question of how much of a mistake, what the threshold of that mistake can be. Okay, Varava Amar. Okay, another answer to the last question is, Lav Hainu Taima the Rabbi Yehuda. El Rabbi Yehuda Tamei, the Amar Ein Bir Chametz El It could be that what's happening um, between Rabbi Yehuda and Meir here is not a margin for error for time concept here, but simply, right, Rabbi Yehuda holds Ain bir chametz el strefa has to do with a different shita altogether. It's the fact that Rabbi Yehuda happens to hold that in order to do bir chametz you have to burn. So that person needs like an extra administrative hour to give the time to burn the chametz. Right. In order to do the said burning, so apparently your mayor says you could dispose of it in any way. Rabbi Yehuda holds you can only dispose of it by burning it. And therefore, in order to burn, you have to get firewood. That takes extra time. And so the extra time that Rabbi Yehuda is giving you is not a machlokas about um, whether people could see the sun in the sky at the end or the beginning of the fifth hour, but simply they all agree that by the end of the fifth hour, you can still tell that that's different than high noon. But the discrepancy is, do you need that extra hour for the preparation of the beer chamez? Very nice. Okay, so now eight lines up from the wide. Eisrei Ravina Larava. Ravina is going to challenge Rava from the Brisa as follows. Amar Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says in the Brisa, Eimasai Shlobeshas Biuro. Right? That you have, the Chametz has to be gotten rid of through burning when? Not at the time that you have to actually burn it, but beforehand. But once you get to the Shas Beer, then you can get, then you can get rid of it, like her mayor said, right? By any means. So therefore, this kind of challenges, right? Rava's, Assertion that he just made that you need the extra administrative hour to gather firewood because it would be who himself and the Bryce says that when you're in a pinch, you don't actually have to burn it. So the, so Rava challenges that, defends it and says, No, but so maybe it's a different thing that, that it, again, it's not because of time management, but because of Yom Unan, sometimes when it's a cloudy day, the sun is not so visible. And the position of the sky is harder to tell, and that's the extra hour. So he backs off of this wood chopping idea uh, temporarily and says maybe it's because of a cloudy day, and Rabbi Huda's, um, is accounting for that. So the Gemara says, well, on a cloudy day, you can't see the sun at all. So why are you going to lay you eat it on the fourth hour? So Amar of Papa, so remember of Papa, he's always resolving these things. Since Brachas, he's been doing it. He says, Arba's Mansuda Lakolhi. Everybody knows that the fourth hour is mealtime. 
And therefore, what is going to tell you what hour it is? Jews, these Jews in those days, they may not be able to tell the position of the sun, but they know the position of their stomach. Their stomach is going to tell them what hour it is. So the fourth hour, everybody could tell. So that you don't have to worry about. We just need to, uh, to be able to tell the a time beyond that. Once we discuss that, so three lines up from the wide, we're going to get into meal times that people have. Taner Abana. A little, a little digression here. Shari Shaina Macha Ludim. The first hour is the meal of these, of these Ludim, which were not good people. They were actually cannibals. They were terrible. They were very, very gluttonous. And they used to eat, um, they used to eat at their first opportunity. It was disgusting. So right away, they were like six in the morning, they're already pounding food. Shnia Macha Listim. Thieves have to eat nice and early because they're on their way to thief. Shlishis Michael Yorshim. The trust fund kids are eating at the third hour because they just like eating also, but they also like a little extra sleep. Revius Michael Poalin. And the fourth hour is when the workers finally get to take their lunch break. Chamishis Michael Tamida Chachamim. Tamida Chachamim are the hardest workers, so they're going to eat in the fifth hour. And Shishis Michael Kol Adam. By the sixth hour, everybody's eating. Wait a minute. So you're making the workers and then the Tamida Chachamim are inferior, so to speak. They're eating before the rest of the people. So the Gemara says, no, wait a minute. First of all, we said that everybody eats at the fourth hour. So we see here that the, that, right, it's all over the map when people are eating. Different people are eating at different hours. So the Gemara says, no, it's like this. Let's straighten this out. That makes more sense. Everybody's eating at the fourth hour. Then Hamishis Michael Poalim. Okay, now this makes sense. That the workers, they're working a little extra hard, and so they're taking the lunch break of an hour later, and Shishis Michael Tamida Chachamim. And the Tamida Chachamim are the hardest workers of all, and they're learning their Torah. They're holding up, uh, they're holding off, um, intermittent fasting over here until the sixth hour. The Gemara then says, Mikan Ve'elach Kazorik Evan Lachemas. That after that intermittent fasting, if you eat, if, if you wait longer than that and you go into ketosis, then it's like even, the, it's supposedly unhealthy. That's like throwing into a, a stone into a bag. In those days, that was considered um, uh, that, that you waited too long to eat and you're not going to get the nourishment. That's not necessarily corroborated by science today, but that's what they were saying. Or maybe it's true. Maybe that's why intermittent fasting can help somebody lose weight because you're not getting the nourishment at that point. Now, at the end, that this idea was only when you didn't eat in the morning. But if you had your morning coffee and bagel, um, and then before you went to work, or before you went to the base medrash, then it's going to be fine to wait until later to have your lunch hour. And so we will continue tomorrow, five lines down from the wide, um, on and so towards the end of Yudbez Ahmed Bez. Merci.